0: If you guys will turn to John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. And as you find John chapter 1, tonight we're doing things very differently. So I want to give you a heads up so that you don't hit your head on the way out or something. Um, And that is, uh, I'm going to teach this short passage, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, just go through the verses, read them, make a few comments and by few i don 't literally mean a few and then Holland will come back up and we 'll do the full worship segment we didn 't cut worship off we just we just Paused. It's on pause. He's going to come back up and lead worship, and then I will come back up, and then I'm going to share uh, what I just some encouragement and some application from the passage. Now, usually I'll just kind of mush these together. We thought it might be kind of neat just to like let's just go through the verses like in a row, you know, knock the dominoes down, and then and then have worship to kind of let that soak in, and then share from the heart something that. Uh, might be relevant for us tonight. So in a way, it's like going through the Word of God for 20 minutes and then listening to the voice of God for 20 minutes. What does the Word, what is the voice of the Word here tonight in a sense? I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what's happening. So um, then we'll take communion after that, just like, like normal. So sit in, buckle up, enjoy. So John chapter 1. We are going to, through John, it's going to be 11 weeks, going to be looking at live eternally. Because John has a big emphasis on eternal life in this gospel. So live eternally. I'll read the piece in the bulletin and then we'll go into the verses. Um, Live eternally. John writes his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's from chapter 20, verse 31. That's his purpose statement. I'm writing so that you'll believe and have life. Now, the bulletin continues. This life is zoe in Greek. It differs from bios life. Zoe life is God's life. It is a kind of life that lives forever. It never decays. Though originally assumed to be something attainable only in heaven, John dares us to find that life in Jesus today. This is the life God wants us to live right now. A piece of himself within us. A bit of heaven on earth before Jesus returns. Eternal life is not merely life after death, but also life Before death. That's what Zoe life is. And that's the kind of life that John talks about and says that Jesus is giving to us. We have life in his name, Zoe life. So eternal life is not just length of time. It's also breadth of time. It's also depth. So it's not just this breadth and this length. It's, it's depth. So not just I live, uh, temporally forever on a time manner, keep going, going. No, it's that the life we get when we come to Jesus becomes richer and deeper and fuller and has more meaning. So that's living eternally. Now, before we get into John, uh, the question has always been why a fourth gospel? John is completely different from the other three Gospels. He's kind of the proverbial red-headed stepchild. And he's the one that's always getting in trouble in the scholarly circles. They're like, well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say this, and then John does something totally different. Like, he thinks he's so unique, and he is. <laughs> and he does a very different approach to Jesus. Now, there might be a couple reasons for this. And one is that John is writing very late. So Mark is about 60 AD, 64 AD. Matthew and Luke are in the 70s, right after the temple is destroyed, probably. And then John is 90 AD. He's a whole 60 years after Jesus. And if he knew of the other three Gospels, which... Seems very likely Then he isn't just saying, oh, let me just like do this completely different story about Jesus. He's actually looking at the other three and saying, OK, I have something now 60 years that the church has been in existence and seeing these other three, I have something to add. And here's the other thing that's going on. By the 90s, the church has grown immensely larger than it was earlier in Christianity. The church is growing. It's getting bigger. More cultures and nations are coming in. And as anything that grows, what comes with growth is discord and problems, right? You've got all kinds of little things going on. And so in order to squelch those and bring some kind of control, you have structures. So the church began to get um, a, a hierarchy of pastors and elders and things. And you have structures. You have official theology being written. You have rules. You have regulations, things that kind of bring everybody together as a happy family. But anytime structure is in place, you threaten the freedom of the spirit. And so John, watching the church becoming highly structured, wants to say, okay, hold on just a second. Before I pass on, I want to make sure that the church remembers the spirit of Jesus, the very heart of his personhood. Let us not move on without forgetting that we are his friend. And he's not just some religious icon. So John goes with a very different approach. I believe fully aware of the other three gospels and saying, I don't have to do what they did. I'm just going to add my, uh, let's remember the spirit of Jesus, the life that he gives us as we look at his life. Now, John is a very simple book to outline. There's two books. It's a book of two books. Book one is the book of signs. It's chapters one through 12. Book two is the book of glory. It's chapters 13 to 21. Two books. Book of signs, 1 through 12. Book of glory, 13 to 21. So in the book of signs, he's going to record for us seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does. And John, basically his gospel, his, his story of the life of Jesus is basically emphasizing these seven miracles. Then chapter 13, the book of glory. And it's going to go from Jesus washing his disciples' feet on that last evening together all the way to his death and resurrection. That's the book of glory, the glorification of the Son of God through his descent into death. Um, The theme that we're going to see is twofold. Now, obviously, eternal life is a big theme in John. So let's talk about eternal life. The word eternal, I'm sorry, the word Zoe, the word life, which means eternal life, That word life is used 32 times in John. And remember that Jesus is showing us that there's a quality of life he's offering. Such as John 10 verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This abundant, overflowing life. That's Zoe life. Um... So the difference now, let's talk about bios life and zoe life. So these are two different kinds of lives that are actually not just different, but actually somewhat opposed to one another. Bios life is the breath you're breathing right now. It's the heart that's beating. It's the blood coursing through my veins. Bios, biology is where it comes from. It's just this, this mere human existence uh, you you breathe your last breath and you die. Now the bios life is just that natural life, and it is very much self-centered, and it wants to be admired. It wants to be petted. It wants to be catered to. It wants to bring the orb of the entire universe under its gravitational pull and exploit everyone and everything. Because the bios life knows it's finite. It knows its limitations. And it wants to become God to try to escape those limitations. We are all born in the bios life. We're all very familiar with that. The Zoe life, however, is the God life. It's the eternal life. It's the life that God had before he created us. And when he created us, he gave us Zoe life. Adam and Eve were meant to live forever. And that life is to keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's fulfilling. It's deep. It's dense. It's it's the difference between a statue and a human being. The Zoe life is the begotten life, not the created life. Okay, the difference is C.S. Lewis talks about this in mere Christianity, that humans create statues, but they beget children or put it another way. Beavers create dams, but they beget beavers. And the difference is, is that something that's created is something that's outside of yourself. And you bring the resources together and you make it. A human makes a statue of marble. But when you beget something, something is being brought into life, and it's of the same substance of yourself. So when humans make babies, that baby's of the same substance as the parents. When a beaver makes another beaver, that little beaver is the same substance as mama and dada beaver. That is what it means to beget. And what John wants to talk about is that the Zoe life, the eternal life of God, is something that we beget through Jesus. So it's of the same substance of God and it's passed down into us so that the same substance of God is now inside of us. That's Zoe life. And it trumps Bios life. And that's why you can have it now. And when you die, you do not die because the Zoe life continues living. The Bios life will fade, but the Zoe life will keep going. So eternal life is a big theme in the Gospel of John. Second theme is new creation. Um, I'm going to go through this really quick. Seven reasons why John has this emphasis on the new creation. or seven points that you'll see about the new creation. First, uh, the prologue, which we're going to read tonight. We are going to get there very soon. The prologue has a creation emphasis. I'll save that for when we get there. Two, Jesus is the image of God. He comes in human flesh, becomes a human being, and he literally is the revelation of God. He's the image of God. And Adam and Eve, humans, were made in the image of God. But it was our foolishness that makes that image a little bit rotten and spoilt. And Jesus comes as the true original image of God, living the life Adam was supposed to live with Zoe life and able to do things with the creation that Adam should have been able to do, but Adam gave it all up because of his rebellion. So Jesus comes as the renewed image of God to make all All of us into other little images of God once again. Um, So the image of God concept is something that goes all the way back to Genesis. Third, John uses seven quite significantly. Jesus does seven miracles, just like the seven days of creation. It's as if Jesus comes on earth and begins to do seven creative acts, all leading up to the pinnacle when he rises from the dead. So he's making the new creation, it's in Jesus, and he's doing seven creative acts to bring us along the way to say, I am the creator in human flesh, and I'm making all things new, including your life, so come with me to the new creation. He also has seven I am statements just to reemphasize the sevens uh, Four water is a major presence in the gospel. of John, I don't know if you have ever counted the references to water every chapter up to chapter 13. Almost every chapter has a reference to water. Chapter one, Jesus is baptized. Chapter two, water to wine. Chapter three, you must be born of water and spirit to be born again. Chapter. F, uh, oh, now I'm on the spot. You see what happens. Chapter four, the woman at the well and living water chapter 5 the man who was a a leper who tried to get to the pool of siloam to be healed but jesus healed him instead water in chapter 5 chapter 6 jesus walks on water chapter 7 he says anyone who comes to me will have a spring of water coming out of him chapter 8 there is no water chapter 9 he heals the man born blind (laughs) see though finally we get there he heals the man born blind and tells him to go wash the mud off of his eyes and he's healed. Chapter 10, there is no water. Chapter 11, there's none. and 12, there's none. But in 13, he washes his disciples' feet with water. And of course, at the end of the gospel, he uh, meets the disciples on their boat naturally in the water. So um, water is a huge presence. Water was a huge theme in creation. Uh, at the very beginning of Genesis we see that there was water on the surface of the deep and that the spirit was hovering over those waters and the creation comes out of the water and as we saw in Peter the flood was bringing those same waters back up to their height and then when the flood was done it said that God sent his Ruach the spirit to blow over those waters and the waters subsided just like in the creation the water subsided and there was another creation for Noah and the animals to come out on so water Has always been a theme in creating. Uh, Five, uh, God says at the end that it is finished when He's done creating. It says that God finished creating, then He rests. Jesus on the cross, only in John, says it is finished, and then He goes to rest, if you will, in the tomb. Number six, the garden. Jesus is raised in a garden. And only John makes the mention that specifically the tomb was in a garden. Because as Jesus rises from the dead, this is the new life. And it's in a garden as the first life was created in the Garden of Eden. And then seven, breath. God creates Adam and breathes into him the breath of life. Genesis 2.7, Jesus at the end when he's resurrected brings his disciples and it says he breathes the spirit into them. So in both senses, the new humanity now is breathed by God, just like Adam was given life by the breath of God. And these two themes marry each other, eternal life and new creation. Why? Because the new creation is driven by the Zoe life, the eternal life of God. That is what it means to be part of the new creation. You have the Zoe life of God. The old creation runs on the bios life and it's winding down. The new creation is getting better and it keeps going. So the two themes come together right there. Hence, let's live eternally. Now, not then, let's live eternally starting tonight in Jesus. All right, let's get to the prologue. Chapter 1, verse 1. It begins with creation. It's going to end with Israel in the wilderness and the tabernacle. Chapter 1, verse 1. A very, very, very unsubtle reference to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. In John, in the beginning was the Word. Right there, by implication, he's replacing the word God with the Word. Implying that the Word is God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. So this word is God, but he's also distinct from God separate from, but the same as interesting little reference to the, a little hint to the Trinity. And he was in the beginning with God. So we see when the word was, he was in the beginning. We see where he was with God and we see who he was. He was God. And verse 2 gives us a nicely tight little summary there. He was in the beginning with God. Everything you already read, summarized there in verse 2. Then verse 3, he picks back up on the creation theme. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this word was the creative activity back in Genesis. you have, uh, in Genesis, it says that God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters divide from the waters. God said, let the dry land appear. God said, let there be sun, moon, stars. God said, He all through the creation narrative, it's his word that is bringing everything into being. And what we have presented to us is the word is the one who made everything. So, so far, we have two connections in the beginning, and we have word And in him was life, that is the word Zoe, in him was Zoe, and the Zoe was the light of men. And as God on the first day of creation said, let there be light, here we're introduced right away to this word was light. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so even like the creation story, the light comes into the darkness. The earth was empty and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. God said, let there be light. Well, this light comes and it comes into the darkness because the world had fallen. It's not the original creation God made. But the word in the beginning kind of word comes in and he begins to speak and he begins to bring light. Now, the darkness has not overcome it. So we see that Jesus comes and he's a revelation, but the darkness seems to have a moment where it looks like it's prevailing. And there we have the hints towards the crucifixion that's about to come. Jesus is going to be crucified. But very key to see is that the light shines on. Hear that present tense. It isn't saying it shone, then it got snuffed out. The light shines on despite the worst of the worst being done to it. And it keeps shining today despite what is going on in the world. The light keeps on shining because it is the Zoe life of God. So there was several ideas that have been produced about what the word is Um, Well, obviously it's Jesus, but what, what is the idea of taking the Greek word logos and calling Jesus the logos translates word in our translations. Uh, He's the logos because the Greeks talked about the logos and we get the word logic basically from it. So to the Greeks, the logos was this, this impersonal principle, this impersonal reason governing the universe. And John could be saying that Jesus is that thing. He's that impersonal force that became personal. Um, but more than likely John's not using Greek ideology here because he's been using so far a lot of Genesis language. Uh, second, some people say that uh, the word uh, w- was referring to wisdom, because the Hebrews always personified wisdom as a person, usually as a lady. And in in Proverbs 8, we see that lady wisdom was alongside God creating the world. And so here, what we're introduced to is Jesus is wisdom itself personified and coming into the world, giving the wisdom of God. The only problem with this view is, it may not be wrong, but is that John doesn't seem to have it in mind because the theme of wisdom just does not pick up after this it's just not there and so third it's probably the word is probably referring to the actual spoken word of god in the old testament and that that spoken word like in creation has become flesh it has come to the earth in jesus now the way that jesus is being described as the word is so cool because the word—it's it, 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 as if here, here's here's one really good way to illustrate it. I have thoughts in my head, and I could call anyone up right now, and we could all try to guess what are they thinking, but we don't know because you can't see our thoughts; they're invisible, and they're unspoken. You can't hear our thoughts; they're inaudible. But my thoughts become audible when I begin to use words. I am feeling hungry. Oh, that's what he's thinking. You didn't know that until I said that. And in the way that my thoughts become audible through word, God, who is invisible, inaudible, becomes visible and audible through Jesus. So if you take the illustration, it's as if God was a thought and he becomes hearable in word so that the God who can't see and can't hear now is seen and heard in Jesus. So Jesus is like the word of my unseen and unheard thoughts. That's that's the best way that I read that somebody put it to explain the impact of of Jesus being the word of God. The unknown is now made very crystal clear in Jesus. So John hits it off with a bang, this multifaceted, he's the word. And this is not only a creative word, it's not only a Zoe life word, but it is the revelation of God word. This is everything you need to know about Jesus in five compact verses. But there's a lot more, so we'll keep going. So in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So don't get confused. John the Baptist is not Jesus. Then in verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The negative aspect of the story. So the word comes, the light comes as the darkness, but they're like, "Mm, we like the darkness. And he was rejected. And of course, foreshadowing the crucifixion. But in verse 12, there is a little bit of good news. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so here the Zoe life is introduced, the concept. The Zoe life is not something that we are creatures, bios life, but he says he gives us the right to become children. Now we have Zoe life. Now we are not just created, but we're begotten the creature becomes a child in Jesus. And this life is expounded on in verse 13, where John gives us three negatives. What this life is not, the Zoe life is not born through blood uh, or the will of man or the will of the flesh, but of God. So, in other words, it's not just creating things, it's God begetting a whole new life into us. And this is powerfully deep. So, I want to read to you one of the other translations, how it puts verses 12 to 13. Listen to this. It's so just how crystal clear this translation makes it. It says this, but whoever did want Jesus who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves as we were always meant to be God's children. But through the fall and sin, we've run away from him. So Jesus has the power to make us our true selves, our child of God selves. Then he goes on. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. God begotten. That's powerful. That's what we're coming from. So in a sense, I don't want to get Mormon on us and say that we are gods, but... John does teach that part of the, and Peter, part of the divine nature is given to us so that what happens when Jesus is God and he becomes flesh, he has a two nature, he's a two nature being, 100% God, 100% man. And God brings those two, at one time, completely contrary things together in Jesus. And God is going to do that with us, is what John is saying in the beginning here. What he's done in Jesus, bringing the the divine and the human together in one, he's going to do in us. So that we're going to be truly human the way we were supposed to be truly human in the Garden of Eden. The divine nature and the human nature coming perfectly together. Not just bios life to die, but zoe life returned to us so that we can keep on going with God forever. And so the climax and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or literally in the Greek, and many of you have heard this before, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The same way that God lived with Israel in the tent, Jesus lives with us in his flesh. So what we began with Genesis chapter 1 ends with Exodus chapter 40, when God fills the tent and is with the Israelites. And we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. One translation puts it, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it says he moved into the neighborhood. Which sounds kind of cheesy at first, but if you think about it, it's actually profound because you could think of me dwelling with people, but it doesn't mean I've become part of them. But when you move into the neighborhood, you've got an address. You're living on the same street. You're living the same lifestyle. You're in the same social class. It's so much more deep. When you say that you move into the neighborhood and that's the idea is that God didn't just come and kind of float in his like little divine bubble around us. Like I'm here. I'm with you. No, God came and became us and lived where we lived and ate what we ate and struggled with what we struggle with. That's the idea. He became one of us. So. The power of this knowledge is that we don't have to run around anymore striving to be spiritual beings. What John is causing us to realize is that when you come to Jesus, he wakes you up to realize, I'm already a spiritual being. I need to learn how to be a human being. And notice how God comes to teach us how to live. He doesn't come as the spiritual being. Hey, come and be less human and like levitate off the ground. God comes to us as a human and teaches us the way humans were originally meant to be from the very beginning. Ruling the creation in union with God. And then the true humanity comes out. The true image of God is seen. And the true glory of flesh is known. We're so anti body. We're like the old Greeks. We want our spirit set free from our body like it's a cage. And God said, Nope, I'll have none of that. I'm going to come in a body. And I'm going to resurrect in a body. And I'm going to return in a body. Because the body is not evil, it's just empty. And it needs the Zoe life of God. That's the problem. Human flesh is not a problem. God made it. And he sees it as a beautiful thing, so beautiful that he took it on himself. So this is also where uh, the whole idea of the eagle comes in. Um, old old church history, uh, church fathers. Excuse me, the church fathers uh, ascribed animals to the different gospels based upon the four faced cherubim in heaven and the eagle was given to john and um, augustine and many others talked about how what john's gospel does is it's like an eagle as it soars high above swoops down to the earth only to pull back up to the heights again and that's what jesus does in john's gospel we see he was the eternal being from the beginning the creator but he comes down to earth right there he became flesh and moved into the neighborhood and then he swoops back up to go back to heaven And that's what we see in John's gospel. It's like a V. The two sides coming down and the V meets at the point at the very bottom. That's That little point is the gospel of John. Jesus comes to us, is with us, then he goes. And he says, I will come back again. But he goes. And that little V shape is how you want to think of the gospel of John. That little pinpoint at the bottom. So in verse 16... And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But he, uh, presumably Jesus, has made him God known. And that's the introduction, the glorious introduction to the Gospel of John. Powerful, overwhelming, so much you can linger on in here. Um, but we'll return after a few songs of worship to just wrap up the uh, application of what does it look like that Jesus became flesh, the incarnation it's called, and how are we going to do that in life? What does that mean for me tonight?